We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into a special edition, an extra edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'm Neil McCready. Get you ready for LSU and Ole Miss. Uh, it's coming up Saturday, 5 o'clock in uh, Vaught Hemingway Stadium in Oxford. Get you ready today with a trio of guests. Matt Moscona of ESPN Louisiana will join. Also, uh, Parker Fleming. Notice him from Twitter. His, his uh, name is Stats O'War. Also with the Bet US podcast, and then Ben Mintz, our friend from Barstool Sports. They'll all join. We'll talk Ole Miss and LSU as the Rebels and Tigers get ready to uh, revisit and renew the Magnolia Bowl rivalry. First, I want to tell you that we're brought to you by the Oxford Exxon. Oxford Exxon, Highway 6 West in Oxford. If you're coming in this weekend for the game, stop in on your way in. Stop out on your way out. Uh, you make it a part of your weekend. Obviously, you can fill up your tank. Make sure that your car is ready to go. You can also make it a part of your weekend. Uh, they got great ribs, uh, plate lunches, all sorts of things. If you're filling up your cooler, great place to go. Always big walk-in bark beer cooler, 34 degrees. Great selection. So you can uh, take all of that into the Grove and have a great weekend, courtesy of our friends at the Oxford Exxon. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call that number. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell uh, Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that is hop into a Clark Ford today. Again, that number is 662-257-1900. All guests tonight will join on the Campbell Clinic hotline. The Campbell Clinic is in Oxford now, 2608 South Lamar Boulevard, Suite 102, just across the street from the cottages at Hooper Hollow, the Campbell Clinic provides full-service orthopedic care, everything from sports medicine to foot and ankle surgery to spine and total joint care to pediatric orthopedics, physical therapy, and more. To book an appointment, uh, go to CampbellClinicOxford.com or call 901-759-3111. Walk-ins always welcome at the Campbell Clinic Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. All of our uh, material, our products, everything brought to you this week and throughout the, this entire football season by Twisted Tea. 
Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea, packs a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. There's no need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, whether you're cheering for your favorite team, whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home. Twisted Tea is there to elevate game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football, your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences with Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. So we'll start off with uh, my friend Matt Moscona of uh, ESPN Baton Rouge, and I think you'll enjoy this, especially if you're uh, if you're cheering for the Rebels. Matt thinks that uh, Ole Miss has a hell of a chance on Saturday. You'll hear him talk about it here. <clears throat> the man with uh, only person with better hair than me is is Matt Moscona right there, ESPN Baton Rouge. <laughs> in, uh, in Baton Rouge, obviously, uh, sir. Welcome into the show. Always good to have you. Uh, well, it's always my pleasure. But I was thinking: is this for those watching? Is this going to be a little shocking to see two bald men? Like not just like thinning, like balding, like bald, like bick on scalp, bald men doing the show together. Yeah, people are like, how do you how do you cut your hair? I'm like, well, number one, I don't really have any. But number two, I shave my head with a razor. And they're like, you mean one of those like razor razors? I'm like, no, the razor that you use on your face, I use on my face, and then I just put it on my head. <laughs> the the best invention I've found though, Neil, is the uh, is like the skull shaver, the little handheld thing. I'm telling you, man, it's it. Uh, every, but every other day, I just put it on my scalp. It's super easy. It takes me less than five minutes, and I'm I'm uh, shining. How about that? I'll have to give that a shot. You do it in the, in the shower? No, when I when I drive, just have it in my hand when I'm driving. I'm just you know just doing this, shaving my head. Wow. How about that? It is a once you get used to it, you get once you get used to this and you accept that that's the first thing people are going to recognize about you, and that's the when, when you're described. If someone says, "Hey, tell me about Matt Muscona," they're never going to be. It's this is what hair people don't understand. Haired people will never understand this. If if I say, tell me about somebody and he's got hair, okay, the first thing they'll say about that guy, not a woman, a man, the first thing they'll say about that man is not, oh, he's got brown, he's brown headed guy. No, no, no. They're gonna tell you about what he does for a living, maybe how tall he is. They're gonna tell you something about his personality, something. It won't be, Mm. oh yeah, well, he's kind of got brown hair that he comes over. And it kind of feathers or whatever. Nope, nope, yep. never happened. Never. Now, you or me? Hey, I met uh, met this guy, Moscona. Uh, uh, who's he? You know, bald guy. First thing, bald, bald guy beard. Bald guy, <laughs> very first thing, bald guy. And so, once you accept that, that's the first adjective that's ever going to be used to describe you from now until your mm. final breath, and then and then beyond that, it's freeing. Yeah, I'm good with it, man. I, I I fought it for a long time, and I actually shaved my head at, in a quote unquote bet on my radio show. We uh, said if we could get to like if I could gain like 2,500 YouTube subs in a day, like during the show, then I'd I'd let 
my one of my Friday co-hosts, Ryan Terrio, shaved my head on the show. And uh, and I'll be damned. People responded very much to what they thought was my embarrassment, but really what they were doing was doing me a favor. <laughs> because I could tell my wife, who is very much opposed to me having a shaved head, I could tell, man, it was bad. I lost a bet. I got to do it. Yeah, I had to do it, right. Got, I mean, got to. I've had people ask me, if someone offered you a head of hair now, would you take it? And I'm like, oh, I mean, maybe. But like five years ago, I'd been like, oh, God, yeah, I'll do anything for a head of hair. And now I'm like, well, I'm probably good. It's probably fine. Mm. Just leave it like this. I want mine. If I could have it back in a heartbeat. Yo, a second. You're, Not you're, still thought. There. you're still there? Okay, I got you. No, I'm, I've, I've accepted the fact that this is my look. But if you gave me the option of having my hair or not having my hair in a millisecond, I would want my hair back. Yes. That's interesting. I probably would take mine back too. If you showed me a picture of me with hair and said, you can have that again. Yeah, I'd probably want it back. But like now I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty used to it. And I, yeah. I, I could, I could justify not having it back. Sure. Anyway. All right. Ole Miss and LSU this weekend in, uh, in Oxford. So the last time these two teams played, you nailed it. You nailed it. Uh, Ole Miss was seven and oh, and you're like, LSU's winning. LSU's probably winning big. And a lot of people got mad at you. And uh, a lot of people caught the games. <laughs> that bald, blankety blank, blank, blank. Uh-huh. But you nailed it. And uh, Ole Miss led 20 to 17 at the half. And then LSU just dominated the second half of the game on their way to a 45 to 20 win. It was, it was, it, it turned out it to be the first big fissure in, in, in Ole Miss's foundation. Um, I'll start with an overview. What's sort of your general expectation for Saturday afternoon in Oxford? You, you want another? You want another early prediction of the game? Yeah, <laughs> of the game? We'll go from there. We'll make sure that people get because they, they they're, they're going to want the Matt Moscana hot take, and they're going to be like, "Oh, he's a big LSU homer. He's whatever." Well, well, guys, he nailed it last year. He really did. So, well, if I if I have that feeling, then I'll say it. Uh, and I I had that feeling last year. Um, I don't have that feeling this year. So, and that's because I think LSU is, their flaws defensively are real. And I think Lane Kiffin's a really smart coach. And I think he'll, he will find ways to exploit those. Now, the flip side of it is, Neil, LSU's offense is elite. Yeah. They are, I mean, they're the number one offense in the SEC right now. And that's not a product of, you know, who you played or anything like that. Um, they returned their top six offensive linemen from a year ago. Um, they got a, a fifth year senior starting quarterback who is by a mile the best quarterback in the SEC. They have a bunch of freak show receivers, which LSU just seemingly always kind of has. And they've got a really healthy stable of running backs. And we've seen Logan Diggs, Notre Dame transfer really emerge now as the best one. So, they, that LSU offense is just going to be a handful for anybody to stop. And I know people will bring up Florida State. LSU had 300 yards of offense against Florida State in the first half. In the first half, 300 yards of offense. They had two possessions inside the 10 where they came away with no points. Uh, that game could have very easily been LSU by 17 at halftime. Instead, it was LSU 3, and then closed third quarter, and LSU just dissolved in the fourth quarter, which is a very real concern, and we can talk about that. But... The offense is really good. And this LSU team's recipe to beat teams is going to be score a lot and be opportunistic on defense, which they were against Arkansas, and they'll have to be against Ole Miss. 
All right, you mentioned Arkansas. Let's go there because that's the most recent game, and I think there was an expectation, certainly in Vegas and elsewhere, that LSU would win easily. I think LSU was an 18-point favorite, 17-and-a-half, 18. It was a big line. Uh, Arkansas comes in and really exchanged punches with LSU the whole night. LSU wins on a field goal at the end to win it. It felt like, frankly, a game that, hey, whoever gets the ball last is going to win this thing because neither team could stop the other team in the second half. What did uh, what did you make of that? What was your takeaway from from that contest? Yeah, well, first of all, I will never again talk about where that game falls on the calendar because so for years, Neil, like for those that that, that don't know, when Arkansas came into the league, LSU because LSU does LSU doesn't have an egg bowl, right? LSU doesn't have a a geographic rival they play on the last weekend. So Arkansas came into the league and the SEC decided to saddle LSU with Arkansas and they made the silly boot trophy and made it the 130 Friday, Black Friday game. And LSU forever resented that and Arkansas really embraced it. So emotionally, Arkansas was always higher for that game than LSU. Um, and LSU complained, complained, complained. And finally, A&M comes into the league. And so they're like, all right, LSU, stop complaining. We'll give you A&M on Thanksgiving weekend. We'll move the Arkansas game. Great. Well, they moved the Arkansas game the week after Bama. And LSU is always going to be sky high for Alabama. It is just the, ga- the game that everyone at the beginning of the season circles, that first Saturday in November, and it's the biggest thing here. And so you're naturally going to have a, a letdown. It's just natural. Like, you will not be as high the next week as you are for Bama. And so we've seen that. Well, they moved the game this year to September, and my feeling was, oh, finally. LSU's got no excuses. It's early in the season. It's just a benign SEC game. Everyone's healthy. And for the fourth consecutive year, that game was decided by three points. It don't matter if you play that thing on flag day. Arkansas is going to be ready, and they're going to give you their best punch. And LSU has got to be ready for that. Now, that's no excuse because Arkansas played a really good game. And, Neil, what I just said about LSU against Florida State, same is true for Arkansas. Arkansas had two possessions inside the 10 on Saturday in the first half where LSU managed to hold them to field goals. Arkansas had had the ball at the 1, the 5, and the 11-yard line on drives where they ended ended in field goals, where LSU pushed them back. Change that goes to a touchdown, and it's a different, different deal. If Arkansas finishes those drives, they win that game by double digits. So when I say LSU's got to be really good on offense and opportunistic on defense, it's what they were on Saturday, and that's going to be their recipe. But, um, man, defensively, those issues, they've changed a bunch of, a bunch of personnel, which I, I don't know how deeply you want to go into that. We can certainly talk about it. Yeah. Um, get it, right? Because I look at that defense, and I see Wingo and Mason Smith and Harold Perkins and just typical LSU dudes up front and I'm like I don't I don't know how anybody's going to attack these guys. I know they they lost Greg Brooks and that was going to be a big pickup for them. Uh the Arkansas transfer who has got some health issues and and um yeah, I look at him like, how does LSU which I think of as sort of DBU. I mean they get just DBs all over the place. How are they so suspect on the back end? What is yeah. that what is that a product of and why is the front seven not sort of covering for that better? Yeah, so I'm glad you said that because it's a, it's a cosign, so I didn't have to say the, the DBU thing. Because I, I think, the, I mean, maybe sometimes just being here, like, we always assume people understand that. But that's LSU's garnered that reputation, right, the DBU thing. Yeah. And it's been earned for 20 yeah. years. Like I, 
if it was Patrick Peterson and Tyron Matthew or Mo Claiborne and Derek Stingley. And I mean, we all know the names. Um, so I'll answer that part first. Then I'll go, go to the front seven. So when Ed Ogeron got fired, his last recruiting class was, let's just say they left a lot of holes in the roster. As far as roster management, it was very poor. Ed gets fired, and their two starting corners, Eli Ricks, who was a five-star number one corner in the country from California, and Dwight McLaughlin, who's now at Arkansas, they both left. So your two starters leave. You didn't really recruit behind them. So Brian Kelly came in and had no cornerbacks. So last year they went into the transfer portal and got a whole bunch of guys. And they were they were good enough, but they were one-year mercenaries. And so you basically had the same issue again this year. So they went and signed four corners out of the portal and recruited a class behind them. So what you have is transfers and freshmen. And you're starting a transfer who's your best guy from southeastern Louisiana. Um, the the other guys that you brought in, one of them, J.K. Johnson from Ohio State, has a broken leg. He's not going to play this year. Um, Deuce Chestnut from Syracuse is the guy who got mossed all night by Keon Coleman in the Florida State game. So they put in Denver Harris, who was a former five-star, uh, who played a year at A&M and then transferred into LSU. And he's a really athletic guy, but he's learning how to play the position. So you're seeing a lot of zone coverage busts and things like that. It's a product of guys that just don't know where to be. So, and then safety is a whole other issue as well. You know, Andre Sam is a transfer who came in from Marshall. You know, he's a seventh-year college football player, so he's played a ton. But athletically, you're going to sacrifice a lot with him in the game. So anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a long answer, I know, but it's – it kind of illustrates how they've gotten to the point where they are. And it's going to take a couple of recruiting cycles to get back to that level. If they can ever get back to that level where they were. So they, so they, they are suspect. Now you asked about the front seven, Neil, the front seven is really good. Yeah. Um, they're, they're deep and they're talented. And I know people always lead with the Harold Perkins question. And it's probably most relevant for you and I, because the old miss game last year is when Perkins really announced himself, yeah. right? That's when he first, I mean, Lane even said it in the post game last year. He's like, when did the game change? When they put 40 in the game. Um, this offseason, Neil, Harold wanted to, he wanted to, to be an off-ball linebacker. He, he wanted to be Devin White. He wanted to be an inside guy instead of just the guy that rushes the passer. So they spent this whole offseason, spring, fall camp, everything, trying to, get him reps to be an inside backer. And in one game against Florida State, it was pretty evident that ain't going to happen. That ain't what he does. So they moved him back outside. They put Greg Penn on the inside. Whit Weeks, who's a freshman, uh, who is, God, he's got a high ceiling. He started the miss- He started the last two weeks. Yeah, he they got was- Omar Spates. Weeks was really good uh, last week against Arkansas. He, his first, his third collegiate game was on the road against Mississippi State. He started in his third collegiate game, and he, and he led the team in tackles. Um, very just smart, instinctive player. They love him. Uh, he's he, super high ceiling. For, for our viewers and listeners, he was a kid that Ole Miss really recruited hard. Lane Lane wanted weeks. Uh, his brother's on the team as well. He's yeah. a Virginia transfer. I think, I think it's one of those things, Neil, where it's like 
you, you take the older brother to, in hopes of bettering your chance of getting the younger brother, and it, and it worked out. It worked, yeah. Um, so linebacker, they've solidified that. Perkins is back in his more natural spot. They've got great depth and rotation on the defensive front. Um, Mason Smith is back off of injury. Although I think he's still a little hobbled, Neil. He, he doesn't look right. Reminds me a lot of Kayshawn Booty a year ago where he's back and he's out there, but he still don't look like he was before. Um, you know, maybe that's conditioning, just getting him rounding into form, all that stuff. But front seven's really good. They've had to mix and match personnel to find themselves a bit. The secondary is really, really a problem. So if LSU, their front seven, can't pressure Jackson Dart and limit Quinshawn Judkins, and they have to start to try to stop the run with numbers, they are in a world of trouble on Saturday. So you agree with me this game comes down to Ole Miss's offensive line, which has been ridiculed, and and, and people have really taken shots this week, and I think justifiably so. I mean, they. They have not played well up front. It's going to come down to that offensive line against LSU's defensive front. And if, if, if Ole Miss offensive front can contain those guys and make them have to do different things, Ole Miss is in it. It's going to be a war. It's going to be a shootout. Otherwise, if they can't and LSU gets to dictate tempo, I think it becomes a, a tennis match. And when I say that, meaning once LSU breaks serve, that's that. You know what I mean? And then they, you yep. go from, it's 2-2, two, two, then it's 3-2 three, two, to 3-3, three, three, but it, then it's 3-4, and then it's 5-3, and then it's over. You know, the set's over. Yes. I think it's that. I, I, I think LSU is going to get its points because they're just that good offensively. And it comes down to whether Ole Miss can do what Arkansas did a week ago and go, okay, every time you punch, we're going to punch back. You think we're going to fall down, but we're not. We're going to hit you back. And then at some point, obviously, the clock runs out and somebody has more points. But I think that's Ole Miss's only path to winning this game. I, and I agree where you started. I, I mean, I said it on my show that the, everyone's going to focus on LSU secondary, and I understand why, because they've been bad and they've been suspect. But the key to the game, the biggest matchup, is if LSU's defensive front seven can control the line of scrimmage. Um, Neil, I watched Ole Miss. I watched that two-lane game, and I was floored by how much success Tulane's Tulane had at the line of scrimmage against Ole Miss. Yep. yep. Um, I mean, Quinchon Judkins didn't forget how to be an awesome running back. The fact that I look up through four games, that guy's got 200 rushing yards, you know, it is, it, it's mind-boggling. I mean, the fact that I think his long run on the season is like 17 yards, 14 yards, 17 yards, something like, yeah, that. like that. It's, I mean, the fact that that guy hasn't been able to, to wiggle free is – Astonishing because he is, he's that dude. And, um, I, that just feels very obvious to me that LSU's front seven has got to be able to do what all of Ole Miss's opponents have been able to do so far and, and just control the tempo, uh, of the game. So you're two of Brian Kelly. What's he, what's he building there? Well, um, before the season started, he said he needs another year, another year of recruiting, another year of culture and all that stuff to be back into the national conversation. It was interesting because they're preseason top five, and you know there were a lot of people who thought this is a team that could go win the SEC. I, I, I Neil, I, pick, I picked him to win the SEC. I did too. I don't look, did you? Okay. Well, um, I picked him to win the West, and I, 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 I thought they had a real shot to make the playoff. Um, I, and I, I did pick them, and, and 
I mean, you know me well enough. I'm not the guy that just like pencils in LSU every year, but, um, no, people think you are, but you're not. I know you well enough. <laughs> it's I think, family. I think that's a product. Look, like, it's the product of, of being, uh, of covering a team in this league. Everyone's going to assume well, what I, they do. I think it's the post game show you do with T Bob where y'all, <laughs> I, I think it's that. I think it's that. I think it's that show. And they go, come on, don't tell me the guy's not a fan. I'm like, well, it's not. He, he is, he's a fan, but, sure. but he's been super critical at times to the point that he basically alienated himself during the Orgeron era. And homers, true homers, because there's some of the Ole Miss beat, they never do that. The access is always so important to them that they'll just eat it for a while. And I'm not, I, yeah. I don't even mean that as a criticism. It's just a strategy, and some people, that's just what they do. I mean, I've been able to alienate myself from, let's see, how many Ole Miss staffs? Nut, for sure. Uh, free, <laughs> definitely. I actually think the Luke staff liked me. I think I got along with them great. And so far, I don't have a problem with the Kiffin staff. I mean, we're, we're all, we're all good. I, I think we, we, there, Lane doesn't like anybody. And I think he, I think he begrudgingly or passively sort of quasi respects me. And so that's that. I and mean, we're, we're, we're fine. But, you know, I mean, whatever. I'm not, not going to roll over and go, hey, you know, Ole Miss got robbed by the officials at Alabama. That's why they lost. And that's disingenuous. They lost mm. because they got beat at the line of scrimmage. And in the yeah. second half, Alabama leaned on them. And, so, you know, that doesn't it's just, I don't know. Anyway, that's um, what, what people think you're a homer, though. They they think you're unobjective because of the postgame show. I'm convinced of it. I, uh, it, you know, I think uh, when you when you do this job long enough, um, you get really good. I, well, I think if you do the job well, you get really good at acknowledging, yes, like I went to school at LSU. I grew up going to games on Saturday night at Tiger Stadium. I want LSU to win every, not, and not just LSU athletics. Like, it's my alma mater. Like, I love Louisiana State University. I want them to win at everything. But my job is to give an impartial viewpoint of what's going on with this program or whatever program it is I'm covering. And, uh, and, if, and if I think they're going to win, I'll tell you. If I think they're going to lose, I'll tell you. And it's, I guess maybe, Neil, the biggest compliment is when opposing fans call you a homer and home fans call you a hater. Maybe that's the biggest compliment because I figured out how to be right in the middle. Absolutely. Um, love it when I get that, when people, when, when opposing fans go, oh, you're, you're a big homer, and Ole Miss fans are like, why do you hate us so much? I, I always view that as, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my job effectively. Yeah. Nobody well, like me, but I'm doing my job effectively, which is part of the deal, I think. But I was, you, asking, you, I was asking you what he's building. Right. You asked what he was building. And so I did pick them to win the SEC this year. And I thought they certainly – look, if you win the SEC, you're in the playoff, and you got a great chance to play for a national championship. And the reason that I loved LSU this year is – I don't know if you remember us talking in Nashville, but at Media Days. But one of you – know, coming out of that week, I think my biggest thesis – on the league this year was it's the worst quarterback year in the SEC since 2014. And that was the year where yeah, 2013 you had Manziel and McCarron and Aaron Murray and Mettenberger and Connor Shaw. I mean, you had a, a deep, awesome, you know, core of, of quarterbacks in the league. And then you go into 2014 and it's like Bo Wallace and Anthony Jennings, you know, I mean, it was yeah. like, it was just, it was a dramatic drop off. Yeah. And, and it showed 
it showed in the league that year. And I think this year is similar. We had a, an incredible crop of quarterbacks last year that all there was an exodus of the league, and I, there was this giant question of who's good. And you could think Carson Beck's going to be really good, but is he? I, I don't know. I mean, so I, I guess I, I look around and I, I say, um, I, I saw Jaden Daniels. I was like, LSU's got the surest thing at quarterback and the most manageable schedule because they get Auburn, Florida, A&M at home, Tennessee rotated off, Missouri rotates on. Uh, it, it's just is a manageable slate. So that's why I like LSU this year. As far as what Brian Kelly's building, um, you know, Neil, it's it's odd because I've seen three different LSU coaches win national championships with three very different teams stylistically. And the one thing I know about this program, covering it for so long and following it for so long, is if you recruit the best players in the state of Louisiana, you're always going to have a roster that's good enough to win a national championship. And so it's why LSU is going to have an advantage because it's the only Power Five in a talent-rich state. It's not like Arkansas. Arkansas is the only Power Five but there's no talent in the state of Arkansas. I'm not enough to fill a roster that can win a championship. Right. So, so that's the, that's why Brian Kelly's here, Neil. So it's, he wouldn't have left Notre Dame unless he was leaving for a spot where he can win a national championship. So that's what he's building. And I think the real big, big question for LSU, those, if you don't get it done with Jaden Daniels, like when, when are you going to have the guy under center, the next one under center that can get it done for you? And that's, that's the unknown, and that's the very uneasy part of it. It's interesting because he's not super heavy on the portal, Kelly isn't. He seems to want to do it, at least this is my observation from the outside, he seems to want to do it the more traditional way. And I'm covering a guy who I think, and Lane might really disagree with this, although he's never going to tell me, He'll tell a national person. Um, I think Lane, <laughs> <laughs> he'll tell Chris Lowe. Um, I think, I think Lane views the portal a little more warily now. I know he does the whole portal king thing and they put out the tweets and stuff, but I think in his heart of hearts, he's like, yeah, it's not really the way to do it. You do it. You do it. The, the program building. I think Lane in his heart of hearts, if he admitted it, he would say, I didn't think I'd be here four years. So I came in and I tried to, build as good of a team as I could build right away. And then now that I think I might be here for a while, I'm, I'm going to try to do it the more traditional way. And the question is, can you take a step back to take a step forward? Will people let you take a step mm. back to take a step forward? So I'm, I'm always kind of curious to watch the way people build programs because man, that portal, that portal is, is so tempting. It's so addictive and you get into it and, and, you it, you can't build chemistry with it. It's the one. It's the reason I think this is the biggest game Lane's coached at Ole Miss. This one coming mm-hmm. up, I think it's the biggest one because if they don't win it, doesn't mean that they're not a good team. They might still be a really good team, but they would have already lost to Alabama and already lost to LSU. They're not getting to Atlanta. You're not winning the. You're not winning the league. It's not going to happen. So how do you approach the next seven games with a bunch of guys who a lot of them are kind of mercenary? When your guys and they came on the promise of hey we're going to build this thing and we're going to win a championship and all that stuff. No, you're not. Now, now you got to go play Arkansas and then you got to play Auburn and you still got to play A&M and you still got to go to Georgia and you're going to accumulate losses. So it's, it's, it's going to be, Hey, Hey, if we do really, really well, maybe we can go to what's now what used to be called the Outback Bowl. I, I don't know that that motivates kids. <laughs> I think this is this monstrous game for Ole Miss. I really do. I think it's, I think it's, it's interesting. Do you week. think, 
Do you think that's, and I, I know like this typically interviews like go the, the other way, but you ask question, but do you think, do you think that the collective uh, program fan base, et cetera, they're all see it that way as well? The uh, magnitude of this game? No, no, I don't. Okay. I think, I think there's a, a degree of denial about this. Um, and I think people just haven't thought about it that way. I think there's this temptation to look at the Alabama game in hindsight and go, yeah, but nobody wins there. And that's fair. It's more than fair, except Alabama's really gettable right now. It doesn't look, yes. it doesn't look like the same Alabama. You can't, you can't go into that week very clearly believing you're going to win. And Lane clearly believed he was going to win or else he wouldn't have done all the stuff on social media. You can't go into that week believing that, lose the game. Alabama was awful in the first half, Matt, and Ole Miss let them off the hook. And then Alabama did what Alabama does in the second half. They leaned on you, and they, they took control of the game, and they controlled the line of scrimmage, and they beat they beat them 18-3 um, to three in the second half. It's what Alabama does, and they did it to them. And so you can't turn around and go, well, yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal because no one wins there. No, you thought you were winning there. And now it yeah. makes the LSU game monstrous. Because if you win it, you wake up the next day and you can go back to go, doing the thing where you're like, yeah, we let Alabama off the hook, but someone else is going to get them because the truth is they're not very good. People, so Maybe LSU will beat them. Maybe A&M will beat them. Maybe Arkansas will beat them. Maybe Auburn will beat them. I don't know. That, that's going to be the justification. And if, mm. as long as we take care of business, we still got a shot. And I think you can motivate a team. I think you can keep the fan base motivated. I think all that stuff. But look, man, you lose this game, you wake up on Sunday, Monday, whenever it is. Hey, the rest of this season, you're playing for something different. And and I don't mm. know, hold, let's turn the page to 2024 because that's going to be the year of a 12-team playoff. Okay, but that's kind of spinish. And I don't yeah. know, I don't know that you can sell that for 2 months. Can you keep the energy going? And then what if you can't? And then what if the losses pile up? What if you lose to Arkansas? What if you lose to A&M? What if you lose you're going probably going to lose to Georgia? I mean, suddenly this team that people were talking about nine and three, ten and two here locally is fighting to get to six and six. I mean, I, I think mm. that big of a game. Yeah. Well, expectations obviously dictate how we feel about outcomes of games. And that's micro and macro expectations. Yeah. But where we, where we started with respect to the portal, I think, um, I, st like, I think Brian Kelly came in and last year and, had to go ham on the portal. Mm -hmm. Neil, he, he wouldn't have had a team. <laughs> he wouldn't have had a team. I mean, remember when LSU played that bowl game, they had 38, 39 scholarship players? Yeah. I mean, he no choice. And in many ways, Lane didn't either. I totally get it. I'm yeah. curious. I'm just curious with Brian Kelly at a place like LSU, as he gets established, Right. does he do what Kirby's doing at Georgia and say, no, no, we're going to build this thing with culture, with guys in the building, this is how we're going to do it. The Alabama way, the way Saban did it for so long and did it incredibly well, for the record. Incredibly well. Or does he go, you know what? It's such a sexy place. Everything about LSU's kind of LSU football is pretty sexy. The Death Valley and 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 the uniforms and and Colin Baton Rouge and and the NFL legacy and all that stuff. No, no, we're still going to be so attractive in the portal that I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit that portal pretty hard every year. I don't know. I'm curious to see what he does. I think he will build through the the high school ranks and supplement through the portal. 
I think in an ideal world, you continue to sign 25 blue chip kids every year and you, you skim from the top yep. to supplement what you need in the portal. Um, I mean, I'll tell you, Neil, three guys, right? You, you, you build your core and then you supplement via free agency. That's, I think yeah. that's the path. Three guys LSU wanted very badly this year. Uh, Keon Coleman, Braden Fisk, and Fentrell Cypress. That's a, a receiver, a defensive tackle, and a cornerback. All three of them picked Florida State over LSU. If those three guys would have been wearing purple and gold instead of garnet and gold on that Sunday to open the season, LSU wins that game. And I don't even know that it's particularly close. I mean, Keon Coleman was the difference in the game. He's, he's a stud. Switch teams, and it's, you know, and now you're talking about Keon Coleman, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr. Yeah. That's Can uncanny. Be. Yeah. But the so top, top of the portal is really expensive. This is the part that people people don't really talk about because our field our field can't come to grips with how we cover this. The top of the portal is really expensive. And so if you're yeah. going to go heavy in the portal, you're sort of the the baseball team that goes, "Well, we're not going to sign the we're not going to sign Otani, but we're going to sign four bats." <laughs> okay. And, right. and that might work, but the truth is you'd probably rather have Otani. You you want the yeah. the guy, right? And it's yeah. you know, I remember when the Cubs lost Greg Maddox years and years ago. They signed three dudes, and they tried the spin of, well, Jose Guzman, Dave Smith, and whoever the other guy, Greg Hibbard, those three guys, they'll make up those. And, and um, insert narrator, they did not make up for those. For no. So if you're, uh, you're going to do the top of the portal, you've got to have this base of high school guys because the top of the portal is just expensive. Yes. Um, and I, I just – I think – that also allows, though, for a dramatic turnaround. Look at TCU. In TCU year one, under Sonny Dykes, goes to the national championship game. Look, Brian Kelly, year one, after a disastrous end of the Ogeron era, wins 10 games, beats Bama, and wins the West. So you, the portal allows you, if you hit, to very quickly turn things around. So I think that is always, that has to be part of your strategy. But... I mean, I can't speak for how it would be at every program because I don't cover every program. But yeah. at LSU, if you sign eight of the top ten players in Louisiana every year, you're going to be really good. Yeah, you're be really good. Last thing, how do you sort of see Saturday playing out? What's your gut feeling? I I think it's a fourth a four quarter game. I don't think it gets away from Ole Miss just because I don't trust LSU's defense to stop them. I think it's very similar to what we saw last week against Arkansas. Um, I think your tennis analogy was a really good one. And to further that, when LSU broke serve was when they got the touchdown at the end of the first half and then a touchdown at the start of the second half. They went back-to-back, -back, took the lead, held Arkansas to a field goal, scored another touchdown. And so then it was just as you described. So LSU was up eight, and then Arkansas was, was trying to chase them the rest of the way. I, I don't know that Ole Miss defensively is going to be able to stop LSU. Neil, they're really good, man. They're Oh, I agree completely. They're, I, I, I'm not, I have, I have, I get asked sometimes like, you know, do, do they remind you of 2019? No, 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 nothing will ever remind me of 2019 again. Like that was, you had a quarterback throw for 60 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. No, it, it'll, 
It'll never be that. It's Jefferson and Clyde Edwards Lair. <laughs> come on. I mean, and Please and stop. you had three off, and you had three offensive linemen drafted. Yeah, I mean, come I on. mean, they were. So no, it's never. It's not that. Um, but you got a veteran quarterback who doesn't make mistakes. You have more receivers than than your team can cover. I don't mean your. I mean like whoever your team is. Like more yeah. more receivers than your team can cover. A really good offensive line with bookend tackles that are both going to be NFL guys. Um, they're going to score, man. They're going to score, and they're going to score a lot. But the the real concern is, and that secondary is a problem. They're building the bridge as they cross it defensively. So for LSU, it's going to have to be something like Harold Perkins comes off the edge, hits Jackson Dart. There's a strip sack, force a fumble, short field score. And now you go back to back possession score. And now you built a lead. Like it's just so hard. Look, and I say this: and LSU went on the road and blew out Mississippi State. Now I don't think Mississippi State's any great shakes, but they beat them forty-one to fourteen or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I just I have way more respect for what Lane Kiffin is offensively for Jackson Dart as an experienced quarterback in this offense for what Quinshawn Judkins can be. Um, uh, shoot the the freshman receiver. What to help me name? Um, about Aiden Williams. The, uh, yeah. Um, Har- no Harris. Harris is what I'm talking about. Harris Tech transfer. Um, is oh thank you. Um, it, but he's he's got like five touchdowns on like eight catches on the year. I yeah. mean, th- that's a problem for LSU because they don't have guys that can cover. So yeah, I. I you know what I think is going to happen, Neil? Like, I think the beginning of the game is going to map exactly like last year. I think Ole Miss, boom, boom, boom. Just like at Bama. I think Neil, I think Lane is really great at scripting the beginning of a game, and he's going to catch LSU in spots that are uncomfortable, and Ole Miss is going to take a lead. I think it's going to be a question of if LSU can find the really big plays defensively, the, the, the big turnover to get the back-to-back scores, whatever it may be, to get it back in their favor. But I, I do think – I. I think it is a one-score game down down to the the bitter end, and it is going to be a a a really fun football game to watch. Matt, as always, man, I love visiting with you. I really appreciate it. Big fan of your work. Thanks for your time. Anytime, dude. You know that. That was Matt Moscona. Really appreciate his time here on the show. It's one that is also brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with the challenge in life, but when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. I've used therapy as a way to handle stress, clear negative thoughts, mentally relax a little. For me, it was a life-changer. It increased my happiness. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient. It's accessible. It's affordable. It's entirely online. Get matched with a the therapist after filling out a brief survey. Switch therapist anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can help get you there. BetterHelp.com slash MPW today. Go there. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash MPW. We're also brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. When it comes to options, honestly, more is more. 
That's why HelloFresh's menu includes 40 recipes and more than 100 add-on items to choose from every week. A busy fall schedule doesn't always leave you with the time to spare. And with HelloFresh, you don't need to spend all evening in the kitchen to whip up a wholesome meal. With their quick and easy recipes and 15-minute meals, you can get a tasty dinner on the table in less time than it takes to get takeout or delivery. HelloFresh is more than just dinners. You can also stock your fridge with easy breakfast, quick lunches, and fresh snacks. Just shop HelloFresh Market and add any of these tasty, time-saving solutions to your weekly box. HelloFresh makes cooking so easy and fast. We have nights where I'm working, Carson's at soccer, and HelloFresh saves the day. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 50MPW and use code 50MPW for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Now back to the show and Parker Fleming of BetUS Sports Podcast. Parker Fleming joins us uh, a second time on the show. Appreciate having him here. He's uh, on Stats O War on Twitter. I look at it every single, probably starting on Tuesday, Wednesdays into Thursdays on uh, on Twitter throughout every game week. And as the season goes on, it feels like the numbers get more and more reliable, and it gets pretty interesting. So we'll talk to Parker about that. You can also catch his show on YouTube uh, every Tuesday and Wednesday, I believe, Parker, on uh, BetUS. So, uh, yep, yeah. uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays at noon central. Yep. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, noon central, bet us, uh, on YouTube. Really good show. All right. Let's, uh, let's dive into this a little bit. Cause I, 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 I wanted to get to this number. I, I wanted to get to this game. I kept kind of waiting for it to pop up and there it was, uh, Ole Miss LSU. It's a five o'clock central game on Saturday here in Oxford. Big game for both teams for if, if either harbors any realistic playoff potential. They can't lose again, at least not right now. And and so they they both have a loss. LSU lost Florida State in the opener. Ole Miss lost at Alabama last weekend. You do these stats every single week, and um, I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes the numbers kind of overwhelm me. Uh, I'm not as statistically smart and analytically smart as you are, not even in the same ballpark. But you've got – Ole Miss with a 52.45% chance of winning. Obviously, that leaves LSU with a 47.55% chance of winning. And then you've got a super close game. you got Ole Miss scoring 29.4 points and LSU scoring 28.75 points. So if you round up and down, you've got a, basically a 29-29 to 29 tie here. Take me inside the numbers a little bit and tell me – sort of how the computer's getting there. I know this isn't your bias and your opinion. You're punching numbers into a, a program, an algorithm that you have, and, and coming away with, uh, with, with numbers. Tell me what, uh, what sticks out when you look at it. Yeah, well, I think that um, th- this one's really, really interesting to me because uh, I, I actually kind of disagree with what the computer put out, and it kind of scared me. But again, I, I make these, one, not so much as, you know, let's look at the decimal places in the number. You know, like that doesn't matter as much. What matters is, hey, let's get a reasonable expectation, and then let's look at the matchup. Let's look at, you know, I'm dumb. I need the colors there for me to draw my eyes to, hey, they're good at this. Hey, they're bad at this. Um, and so a couple of things stand out in this matchup that I, that I think are really, really interesting. Uh, the biggest one for me is when LSU has the ball, they've been great on early downs, first and second downs. You know, we want to measure what you do kind of when situation and context doesn't really dictate what you're doing. When the offense is open, how well are you doing? LSU is fifth 
in early downs on offense in those situations. But Ole Miss's defense is 23rd. They've been really, really good. Where I get a little bit worried for Ole Miss here is that LSU is 32nd on third and fourth down conversion. And so I, I, I give you credit for uh, a fourth down, even, even if you, you know, you try twice there. So kind of uh, rewards going for it. But LSU, 46.5% conversion on those third and fourth downs. That's 32nd in the nation. Ole Miss is allowing 98th uh, most third and fourth down conversions on defense at 44.8. That worries me because Jaden Daniels has scrambled just about as much as anyone in the nation. He's fourth in total scrambles um, this this season and, and has been, you know, even with his struggles with pressure and they give up a, a, a lot of pressures, he has 25% of his pressures turn into sacks. Uh, and even with that, you know, taking those negative plays, he still creates. And those third down situations are really going to favor him, particularly Ole Miss being so good on first and second downs in EPA there, they're going to get LSU to those third down situations that are going to be third and long. And those are going to actually favor Jaden Daniels a little bit more than an average team because he can create so much with his legs out of chaos. So I see that as a very clear path to moving the ball for LSU. And then the other thing that I really stands out to me about LSU's offense versus Ole Miss defense, LSU, 14th in passing success rate, 13th in EPA per pass. Ole Miss is allowing the 78th worst uh, or best, excuse me, so pretty bad, passing success rate and the 81st EPA per pass. LSU is efficient and explosive in the pass game. Ole Miss has shown, uh, you know, allowing people to, to get plays through the air there. So those two things combined have me a little bit worried about Ole Miss's defense here. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. Uh, I watched, I've watched all of Ole Miss, obviously. I covered them. I've seen every snap they've played this season. I've watched three LSU games now in their entirety. I went back and watched the Florida State game because I was, I was so stunned by it. I had LSU basically competing for the national championship in my preseason. So I'm, LSU's that team that I'm like, I think I'm going to end up being really wrong on. I watched all of their game against Mississippi State where they were dominant. And then I expected them to be dominant against Arkansas and they weren't. It was a, ended up being a very competitive game back and forth. Um, you know, KJ Jefferson had his moments for Arkansas, kept them in that game and ended up getting decided on a field goal in the final play of the game to give LSU the win. And so that threw me off a little bit. But at the end, I kind of expected a LSU minus five and a half, LSU six line. I kind of expect in, in my mind, I sort of see a seven point LSU win. I want to ask you about this matchup uh, statistically because it's been the talk in Oxford this week. A lot of talk about Ole Miss's offensive front. They're really struggling. Uh, certainly when you watch them, it appears that they are struggling. LSU's defensive front, on the other hand, uh, very disruptive, very athletic. And yet LSU on the back end, super susceptible. I mean, people have lit them up passing a little bit. Uh, when you look at Ole Miss offensively, what concerns you and what, when you look at it analytically, is sort of the path to success for the Rebels? Yeah, well, I, I I think that their offense has been a little bit underwhelming. Even as it's been efficient, they've really been relying on those big plays, and that's going to be the Kiffin, right? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna struggle a little bit. We're gonna run a lot. They're 88 in rush rate over expected. So, given down distance and yard line, Ole Miss is rushing 2.6 percentage points more than the average team. Um, but they're 42nd in EPA per play, even as they're 64th in success rate. So, when we see those outlays, we know that when you're getting successful plays, those are the big plays. 
And some of that is by design, right? That's what the Kiffin offense wants to do is take what's there and then exploit it over the top. But the success rate, especially in the passing game, has been so bad as to really make me worry about their consistency. 78th in passing success rate, even as they're 46th in EPA per pass. So really able to kind of move, uh, again, get those big plays, but not creating a lot of those successes there. That's a little bit worrisome here. The thing about it, though, is that LSU's defense has not been great. I have them at 86th in EPA per play uh, for, for this season. Um, and I mean, you know, you, you covered SEC media days. How many times did Brian Kelly say the word concerned about his defense? And we've seen that bear out on the, on the, on the field, right? Yeah. He was worried. He was really worried about the back end. Yeah. He was very honest about it. He, he, I think he felt a little more confident about what, what, what they had up front. And I think he was a little worried about their whole linebacker situation too. They were, they were concerned about their ability to stop the intermediate passing game, the deep passing game. He knows they're good at getting to the quarterback, and I think he feels pretty good about their interior defensive line stopping the A gap, B gap run. But yeah, no, he he was not he was not talking like a guy who thought he had a you know a world beating defense heading into the season. Yeah, and and looking at it, they're they're kind of living up to that. And what what's really interesting about that is they're they're very balanced in terms of how teams are attacking them. So uh, a rush rate against or a rush rate over expected against that's right about smack dab in the middle for LSU. And they're seventy first in EPA per pass, 69th in EPA per rush. And and that's really it's not like hey one of these areas is so much obviously worse than the other that teams are, you know, just attacking down and exploiting it. They're, they're having success against LSU kind of in a balanced attack there. The other thing that stands out to me about LSU's defense, and I think a big opportunity for Ole Miss here, is finishing drives. So I look at a stat, Eckle, right, quality possessions. How often do you get a first down inside your opponent, 40, or a big play touchdown, right? And then what do you do, points per Eckle? What do you do when you have that situation? Um, and Ole Miss is 14th at quality possession rate, at echo rate. They're, they're, they're generating quality possession on about 60% of their drives. They're 43rd in finishing drives, though, so a little bit worse at finishing those drives than they are at creating those drives. Uh, the good news for them is that LSU's defense is pretty poor at both preventing opportunities and at, and at finishing drives. They're 75th in echo rate allowed, and they're allowing 3.71 points per echo which is 77th in the nation there. So put that together with Ole Miss's kind of big play success there, and you're really looking for an opportunity for the Rebels to say, hey, let's get in those quality possessions, let's let the field get short, and let's take advantage of that back seven for, for LSU that's that's not relatively as good as their front four. I know you and I had this discussion before, but just for people who are listening for the first time who are a little overwhelmed by the, the numbers and that kind of thing, take me, just give me the the cliff's notes version of sort of how you put the data together how much of the data is based on this season obviously we're getting to week five so people played almost half a season how much more reliable in your mind is the data each week as you get more data to use yeah um and i have all these numbers neil and i talk so fast too it just makes everything so much harder um yeah so i um you know, at a, at a broad level, I have a contract with Sports Info Solutions and uh, use their data. It's charted. So it's not, you know, I used to use data that was scraped from ESPN. And if you've ever looked at an ESPN box score, you'll see just absolute nonsense in there sometimes, some really unreliable data. And so not only do I have better quality with SIS, they do chart things like 
uh, completion, like offensive line participation, like pressures and yards after catch and yards before catch, all sorts of fun stuff that I'm really just scratching the surface on getting to be able to do and play around with. I, I just started with them last year. So I take that, I put it in. And the, the way that I've been saying it is not early season stuff is not opponent adjusted, right? Because any way you're going to opponent adjust is going to be some kind of relative expectation based on priors, based on notes of who played each other. And early in the season, there's just really not enough to, to really call an opponent adjustment. So what I've called it, started calling it this season is like, I just regularize it a little bit. And all that means is I'm going to take extreme values and I'm going to regress those to kind of a mean or to a historical mean. And then I'm going to, um, you know, just take things that look a little weird and kind of compress them so that it's not odd. So last week I got a lot of kerfuffle because Texas was 133rd in success rate. Uh, well, obviously that's not predictive and that's not what goes into the, you know, the, the, the raw thing that I present there is not what goes exactly into the model. We've got to account for, for some of those predictive elements a little bit, but it does give me, uh, you know, a good baseline of, hey, Texas struggles with efficiency. Ole Miss, I have them, you know, 78th in, in passing success. Do I think that Lane Kiffin's often is the 78th most successful passing or the 78th best uh, passing attack in the NCAA? No, absolutely not. So about week five is when I'll really throw away FCS games entirely and most preseason priors are out so that it's not regularized so much as it's opponent adjusted. Um, and then by week six, I'm saying, hey, you're telling me who you are. Uh, really, game six is how I should say. When you have six games, it's like, hey, I, I kind of know who you are. So that's really when the preseason stuff goes out. And obviously, like any model, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more agnostic about the preseason priors. And so I'll obviously do a little bit better during the season, you know, as, as things go and we get more information. Yeah. Isn't it funny for me? And I, obviously, I'm not a data analyst at all. But in my mind, I tried not to start passing judgment on teams until about five, six games in, because you can really get fooled. Like Alabama's an example. I mean, two weeks ago, I thought, man, they're going to lose a bunch of games, and they still might. But suddenly, analytically, their numbers are starting to look more like Alabama as they start to figure themselves out coming out of the out of the Ole Miss game. I mean, they've got a 95.31% chance of winning in Star Bowl, and you've got your computer, I should say, has them winning by 25 points, which is – about what I expect, frankly. I mean, I I don't yeah. think Mississippi State's particularly good, and I think Alabama may be kind of finding itself, and we probably are undervaluing the Alabama defense. Yeah, I, I think I, I absolutely that's true. And, yeah, early in the season, it's so easy to um, overreact to small sample size, frankly. And, and, and that's why I like, you know, again, and, and what I really like about these is uh, and doing these previews and why I kind of started doing them is I just want a broad brush for, okay, hey, how have you played – What's a reasonable expectation? And then let me adjust based on what I see. So like, even now I have Alabama as 80th in EPA per play. And that's regularized. That accounts for the fact that they played really poorly against um, South Florida and they played really poorly against Texas and, and weights those in differently. But again, that's not saying, hey, I think Alabama is 80th in the nation, right? That's saying, hey, the way they've played, this is a concern. Their offense is not performing as well as their defense. And we can get those success rate and EPA kind of differentials to see, oh, I, I can kind of see, are you struggling with efficiency? Are you struggling with explosiveness? Is that early downs? Is it late downs? Is it field position related? And kind of break those things out because you're right. Early in the season, stuff is really volatile. And I think we're seeing more and more situations where teams are looking ahead to matchups. Uh, Missouri, Middle Tennessee State was the example this year where they looked awful against Middle Tennessee State because they knew they had Kansas State next weekend and they yep. were really kind of eyeing on that. And you, got, you can't really account for that, right? Uh, I have data that happened on the field. It's hard to put a variable in there. Could be part of what happened to LSU last week. We just don't know, right? Because yeah. we, you know, it's possible right. that, that that Arkansas overlooked BYU. I mean, you, you, they're they're kids at the end of the day, so you don't 
You don't know whether, you know, I mean, Ole Miss kind of looked sloppy at times against Georgia Tech, and it could very easily have been that they were looking ahead to Alabama. And there's a lot of that that you can't really factor into a computer. Just that's the part of it that makes the right the games interesting is that we'll use we'll use Tennessee, South Carolina as an example. Tennessee, seventy eight point six six percent likelihood that they win, which means they're damn likely to win. If they played ten times, Tennessee would win most of them. But South Carolina might win one or two of those, and if that happens on Saturday, that's the beauty of kind of college football. Yeah, absolutely. And you can go back and look and say, hey, what was my, like, I like this because it makes me put pen to paper for every game, right? And then I can go back and say, okay, when something happened, what didn't? And sometimes when I have time, you'll see me on like Sundays or whatever, tweet out like, hey, this was the projection and here's the difference. Well, you know, they had a first down at the 25 and they fumbled it and that like changed the game. And you can kind of, you can learn from comparing, you know, it's not so much, and, and the numbers are fine. They do well against the spread, obviously any number that I'm putting out for free on the internet is not going to be super valuable for like gambling uh, generally because information matters so much there, but uh, they, they, they do generally fine. And you can kind of compare when, when something's off and learn something about the game. So that's, that's, that's kind of my whole hope there. And yeah, um, South Carolina is super interesting because their numbers are really good explosiveness, but really, really bad efficiency. It's like, Hey, who's going to show up for, for the yeah. Tennessee game this weekend. Yeah. And that, that can get you in big trouble on the road in, in Neyland with you, if you're not efficient, because you have three or four unsuccessful drives. They get a lead on you, and all of a sudden the crowd's into it, and you're chasing. It's, it's difficult. That's a, that's a weird game. Here's one that I want to ask you about because this line sort of surprised me. The betting line did. It's a little more. It was Kentucky minus, I think, three. It's Kentucky minus two and a half, yep. Um, but your computer has Kentucky winning 72.64% of the time, and not only that, but winning by almost a touchdown. What is it inside that matchup that that uh, makes you makes you think that the why do the computers like Kentucky so much? Yeah, a couple of things that stand out specifically about Florida's offense because these teams are about similar on defense in terms of uh, efficiency. Kentucky at fifteenth. Uh, and Florida at 12th in defensive EPA per play, but Kentucky's offense has been a little bit more consistently high ceiling. Some of that is because they're rushing pretty well. Um, they're 58th in rushing success rate, but 14th in EPA per rush, 38th in passing success rate, 64th in EPA per pass. So Devin Leary hasn't created those explosive plays as much, but the rushing floor has been so high that they've been really, really efficient. Florida's offense has not been able to rush very well, and their success rate on offense, uh, especially in the pass game, has not been very good. So they've had to rely a lot on big plays and uh, have not really been able to stay ahead of the chains. They're uh, 113th in passing success rate, but 25th in EPA per pass. You couple that with a huge split for Florida on early and late down situations. 44th on early downs EPA, but 132nd and 3rd and 4th. That tells me that if Kentucky's defense can get Florida into those negative 3rd down situations, going to put a lot of pressure on Graham Mertz, and I think that's where Kentucky wants to live. Kentucky, fortunately for them, 14th on early downs EPA. So you couple those play level things, I go and look at field position. I see that Florida is 115th in starting field position on offense. I'm getting a picture of Kentucky defense that's very good on early downs, a Florida offense that has to do everything possible to stay out of third and long situations, and a Florida offense that's going to start super far away from the end zone and have to put together long drives to uh, to, to, to be able to score and stay ahead there. And you can see, all right, I think Kentucky's going to outpace them in scoring. Interesting. All right, another one I want to ask you about, another 11 a.m. game on uh, on Saturday in Arlington. It's Texas A&M and Arkansas. Here's my question, and I don't know if you even, can even factor in the answer. Uh when you did this computer-wise, uh, A&M wins 75.54% of the time. And not only that, they win by a little more than 10 points. 
How much would that change if you had the ability to factor in Connor Wagman being out and now Max Johnson being in? Would that change numbers or would the numbers sort of stay the same? Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I think a lot of the, the, the problem of a player level model in college football is really, really hard. And if I figure that out, Neil, uh, you guys never hear from me again. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's that's kind of the standard disclaimer. Right? right. But I do think it's possible to say, OK, the offense did look a little bit different with with Johnson in there. Obviously, Whiteman, with some of his value that he's created this season, has shown a really, really high ceiling. And so obviously you want to tamper that a little bit. Can't can't necessarily account for that on an individual level. Um, e- either. So the, the stats that I would expect to kind of be uh, a little bit worrisome for Texas A&M's offense there, one, um, they're, they're second in quality possession rates uh, and they're 55th in finishing those quality possessions. So second in echo rate, 55th in points per echo. I'd expect those numbers to kind of converge uh, or, or sorry, move down a little bit. So I don't think they'll create as many quality possessions. Um, I don't think they'll finish those as well. So you can start doing math, All right? Let's say there's what? 10 to 11 possessions that they're going to have over the course of a game right here. That's just underscoring three points per possession for Texas A&M's offense versus Arkansas's defense. Um, and you can see there's net points per drive there. You could start to, you know, do some back and napkin math and adjust um, and say, okay, maybe I expect them, you know, field goal, field goal and a half down. Maybe they're going to kick more field goals than, than, than touchdowns though. So then you start thinking, let me take four points off of a drive here and, and go slower. What, what I like to look about this a little bit more is are there areas where Arkansas gives Texas A&M a long leash where, you know, Max Johnson's going to be able to flourish a little bit. And I think there is one early down to EPA. Uh, Arkansas is 110th on defense. Texas a hasn't been great at it, but they have a lot of opportunity against an Arkansas team that struggled to put people in negative situations. Um, secondly, the field position differential absolutely favors Texas A&M's offense. They're 12th uh, in starting field position, whereas Arkansas is allowing the 96th uh, starting field position there. So again, positive situations, lots of room on early downs to, to, to thrive. And then Texas A&M's been really good at cleaning up on third and fourth downs. And, and that hasn't necessarily been like LSU with Jaden Daniels. It hasn't been, hey, Connor's just going to go make something happen. It's been, they've been running plays and making it happen there. So I think some good design on third down really supports a quarterback. So I wouldn't go as far as a, a touchdown off over here, but yeah, you're looking and you know, Three to three to four point differential. Obviously, with the spread, that doesn't do you a lot of good because that's going to put you right there at six, okay. which is why I don't have a I don't have a bet on this game. But uh, but yeah, that would be my thought process for how to look at this and then say, all right, let's let's adjust. Let's talk through what what a, what a player being out looks like. It's fascinating. Um, so far, is there a team or two nationally that your computer really loves that you can tell they're starting um, to fall in love with a little bit? Yeah, let me pull up. I have gotten the raw numbers up on cfb-graphs.com. So again, just very, very bare bones right now, but have the leaders for EPA per play and EPA margin. Um, I think Washington's defense has been a little bit better than I thought they were going to be, especially with the pace issues. You really think that they're going to have a hard time um, keeping up with that offense, but the defense has been you know, 36th overall in the nation. That really, really helps them out. Um, and, and they look they look pretty well rounded out of that Pac-12 team. Um, another team that I think is I mean Texas A&M surprised me a little bit. That Miami game was was annoying, but they definitely surprised me. 
Um, and then another very, very fun one that I have circled is uh, Washington State. I think that Washington State's offense, everybody talked about Cam Ward last year. Um, their defense might not be that good, and so that's going to be a little bit hard. But if you can score like that, man, you're going to stick some people. And we saw it with Oregon State the other day where they got a huge lead, and then it didn't matter that the defense kind of fell through at the end. So I like both teams out of the state of Washington um, there. I mean, I, yeah, again, I think I was surprised by Texas A&M in a positive way. Uh, this this season. And then, you know, the team that I'm watching that's just fun, I think, is Jacksonville State with Rich Rod there. I have them at 35th in raw EPA per play margin. They kind of did a weird, like, pseudo-tanking thing last year and it hit the ground running. I mean, I, I had an over four and a half, I think, on them. Just very, just almost like a, a lottery ticket. But it was like, hey, what if Rich Rod's actually, you know, a really good football coach and they can figure some stuff out? So they've been a lot of fun as well. Um, even as their offense has kind of struggled, their defense, you know, 21st against the against the rush, 11th against the pass there, and, and 34th on early downs, really, really stout from uh, from Jacksonville State against bad competition. But still, that's for, for a new FBS team, they've been very, very fun. You know, it's funny. Cam Ward came to Ole Miss on an official visit uh, back when he was leaving uh, Incarnate Word. And yeah. uh, I remember seeing him and being – a little underwhelmed because I expected this big guy who slings it. And he was just kind of a normal sized dude. And, you know, he, he took the visit and I don't, I can't remember all the dynamics of it, but I don't think it went super great. And he's kind of went on and, and ended up, I think he was waiting on a coach to go somewhere and ended up at Washington state or whatnot. But I always kind of think about guys like him. Like if he could have, if he would have ended up in the Kiffin system, what would have happened? You know, that kind of thing, because that guy can make every throw he is, he is fun to watch, and you're right about Rich Rod. Rich Rod's kind of that old school coach. He coaches a lot of toughness, yet kids like him. And he's at a place that's not – you're not going to have a lot of prima donnas at Jacksonville State. You're going to have a lot of work guys, and it's working for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's kind of interesting seeing, you know, the the discontent in West Virginia and seeing Rich Rod kind of kind of cruising there. Obviously, this, some of that's a little bit of a joke. But, uh, yeah, this, I think there's a couple fun teams that have been really, really good. Um, and, and, yeah, the, the, the what if factor is really interesting because it's not like Ole Miss, it's not like Dart has been aggressively bad. It's like, hey, I just want a little bit more out of the quarterback position. Like, I think there's a higher ceiling this team could get to if we could have a little bit more. And you wonder, like, hey, a complete game changer, Would that? what would that do to Ole Miss's offense? I think the interesting thing with Ole Miss, and I'm not going to keep you much longer, I promise. The interesting thing with yeah, Ole Miss, it's not, that, it's not that Dart has been aggressively bad at all. He's actually been good, but he hasn't been yeah. aggressive. And I don't know whether that's because they don't have the wide receivers to create the dynamic plays downfield, to create separation. I know that Kiffin really emphasized uh, protecting the football. He got upset at Dart last year with the, the interceptions. He got, hey, cut those down. I wonder if that's leading him to be a little more conservative. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily show play by play, but over the course of a game, like you mentioned, you're like, man, they're not all that dynamic. And you wonder if some of that, yeah. just those kind of things pile up. He's not gotten a lot of protection. He's getting hit a lot. They're having a hard time establishing the run. Everything with that offense is dependent on the run. Um, yeah, it's it's why going as we wrap going back to that Ole Miss LSU game. The interesting thing to me, I keep coming back to it. I think it's where the game is decided: is Ole Miss's offensive front versus LSU's defensive front. Alabama was able to get pressure without bringing anything. If LSU can get pressure without bringing anything and drop multiple people into coverage, they can do two things. Right? They can obviously get to Dart, which is disruptive. And then, two, they can help their secondary mates by having more bodies back in there. And 
if they can't, though, and they have to get more creative and they can't get to dark and he gets more time, that secondary is really susceptible. I just think that game is ultimately decided up front, primarily on one yep. side of the football. Because you know LSU is going to get their points. They're going to score. Right. So you've got to be able to score with them. And if Ole Miss can score with them, then, hey, it's just like their Arkansas game last week. It's anybody's ball game. But if you can't, they're going to get their points, and then you're eventually going to break. It's going to be like a tennis match where you're trying to hold serve, and then you, your opponent breaks serve, and then he wins his serve, and all of a sudden you're, you're down in the set. You're not, you're not coming back. And it feels like that kind of a, a game to me where it's just decided right there up front. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I'm always interested in uh, kind of the Alabama body blow, you know, factor as well. They played a tough game against a really good opponent. Also, there's a lot of emotional investment last week and, and everything as well. And you do wonder about a little bit of a hangover for Ole Miss here too. Parker, I can't thank you enough for the time. I always enjoy talking to you. I love your work. Again, it's Bet US on YouTube Mondays and Tuesdays at uh, noon. Is that right? Tuesday, Monday? Tuesday, Wednesday at noon Central. Yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, noon Central, and then it's on Twitter or X or whatever we call it now at Stats O War. S T A T S O W A R. Parker, as always, man. Thanks so much for the time. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thanks so much. Enjoy talking to you uh, anytime. Appreciate Parker's time. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I drink AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I want a better gut health, sustained energy, immune system support, and I hate taking pills. I drink AG1 every morning. I love knowing I'm doing something good uh, for my body, giving my body the nutrition it craves and covering my nutritional basis. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water, drink it first thing each morning, done. I also, think, also like that it costs less than $3 a day. It's pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality sourced ingredients. It's a win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com slash mpw. That's athleticgreens.com slash mpw. Check it out. Fall is here, gentlemen. It's about to get busy during the holidays. Don't let that stop you from sticking to your habits and being the best version of yourself. That's where our friends at Caldera Lab come in. These guys are the best in the skincare game. And with an easy routine, keep your face looking pretty no matter what your schedule is. Plus, what's a better gift than clear skin? Join the over 100,000 men who trust Caldera Lab to show your best self and first impression this fall. Plus, it's a great gift. As I get older, I know I have to take skincare, skincare more seriously. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup. It's a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Caldera Lab knows the skincare world is heavily female-driven and has been long been the wild, wild west for men. That's why they're making this solution simple. The regimen includes three products, the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The clean slate starts and ends your day. This face wash leaves all skin types refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin, jumpstart your day full of confidence, and the good is your go-to multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother, as well as helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Every drop of the serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. Caldera, Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skin care, 
It's made only with top-tier ingredients, and clinical trials have found 94% of men's skin showed an overall younger-looking appearance after using Caldera Lab for a few weeks. One minute morning and night is all it takes to reduce your wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. And just for our audience, we have an exclusive deal. You're not beating this offer, so use MPW at CalderaLab.com and get 20% off right now. Get 20% off with code MPW at CalderaLab.com to make unforgettable first impressions with the best gift this holidays. So again, that's CalderaLab.com slash MPW. Now let's go to Ben Mintz of BarstoolSports.com, get his thoughts on LSU and Ole Miss. Ben Mintz of Barstool Sports, kind enough to uh, give us some time here on uh, this weekend as we get ready for LSU and Ole Miss. Ben, uh, first of all, thanks for joining. I know this is a game that uh, means a lot to you, so you, you like this one a lot. This one means something to you a little bit more than just the football. Yeah, I feel like Brandon Walker probably gets annoyed how much I care about LSU weekend because, I, I mean, I'm not saying the Egg Bowl states Ole Miss is bigger than Fry Bowl. I'm not going to sit here and, like, do that argument. But growing up in Louisiana – I used to work for ESPN Baton Rouge. I have so many relationships down there. Uh, the LSU Ole Miss weekend is always my favorite. It's always a reunion. Uh, this is the 21st time in 24 years going back to 2000. I'm coming. Um, that's you know I hadn't made them all, but I've, I mean that's pretty uh, pretty good effort. And you know it's 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 heck yeah, it's exciting. And the five o'clock kickoff. I can't remember too many 5 p.m. kicks, but it's actually kind of perfect though. You know you get to do the yeah. growth thing. And the, the the weather looks good, and you know I hate to sound like this, but all of a sudden I'm 40 years old. I don't like those 8 p.m.ers, man. I'm old. Welcome to, to my world. Welcome to my world, Ben. Welcome. Yeah. In. Welcome. Welcome home. No, I was I was so concerned about that 8:15 kick, and I mean I was number one for myself. It was going to be brutal because everybody's like, you well, got to do post game right articles. You got to do post game, and you're there till two in the morning, and you don't recover till Tuesday. You know that, that's that deal because I'm old. It is what it is, but. Five o'clock is kind of perfect. It lets people lets people do the, the grove thing. If you're not done groving by five o'clock, that's kind of on you. And then you get to go to the game, and the game's going to be over by eight thirty, and you have plenty of time to go out and do whatever. And you still can have a full day. And if you're driving, like a lot of people are driving back, you can get back wherever you're going by midnight ish. That that was the deal, man. Yeah, eight fifteen kick. You don't get out of the stadium till midnight. You don't get out of Oxford till one in the morning, and then you're driving till four someplace. That's dangerous. So I'm glad that uh, – I hope everybody at Mississippi State, the Alabama people, hope they're all safe. But I'm glad it's them and not us. Yeah, me too. And, look, I think so. You know, obviously, I mean, well, people would argue if I'm an idiot or not. But, uh, obviously, that was a horrible second half last week. It's been beat to death for Ole Miss, and rightfully so. I mean, it was extremely rough. You know, Ole Miss defense played – you know, they did everything you could ask. You know, missing that field goal before the half, I definitely hurt momentum, but you can't blame it on that. I mean, the offense just couldn't sustain any drives at all. And the defense still only allowed 24 points and like 130-something yards rushing, even though they're out in the field the whole game. But, uh, you know, you just got to flush it. Look, last week was weird in that every national media pundit in the world was taking Ole Miss last week at Alabama. And all week I was like, ugh, just didn't, something didn't feel right there. But now it's kind of the opposite. Now everybody's overreacting to this bad second half and saying Ole Miss sucks. And, you know, Vegas, I'm a big gambler, as everybody knows, and Vegas put out the all-time, like, 
I, you know, I've been betting on sports for too long, you know, over 20 years, whatever. And that road favorite minus two and a half, which is what LSU is, they're favored by two and a half on the road. I'm telling you, that's the – every time I see that line, it, it sums up because they're baiting people to say, oh, LSU's better than Ole Miss. They can win by a field goal. And uh, right when I saw that line, I was like, man, I think Ole Miss is going to win this game because uh, that just looks really weird to me. So I saw where like 80% of the money is coming in on, on LSU. Why has that not moved? Why has that not moved the number, though? I know. That's kind of surprising. Uh, I think Vegas must like Ole Miss is all I can think of because, look, and look, I went last Saturday, I went to Death Valley. I went to Arkansas LSU. Look, when you think of LSU Tiger football teams through the years, you know, you think about all the great defensive backs that come through there, Patrick Peterson and Honey Badger and Trey White, you know, this is long on and on. Man, that's not what this team has anymore. They got Nickel State and Southeastern Louisiana transfers playing, you know, getting a bunch of playing time. They're not the same in the defensive backfield. And Florida State torched them in the second half. Last week, Arkansas, the LSU didn't cover the tight end. Arkansas had guys running free. And so to me, I mean, last year we all saw what Harold Perkins did in that second half in, in Death Valley. I mean, he literally just ruined Ole Miss. It's going to come down to Ole Miss's offensive line, which has obviously struggled. But if they can give Dart any time, I think Ole Miss's receivers can get open and can get chunk plays down the field. And but that's uh, the I think if, that's right. The that's game. the that's the if. Can they give him time? They they've they have struggled at times up front. They struggled a lot against Alabama. Um, a lot struggled of, against Tulane a lot too. To be honest, a lot of Arkansas's damage. I watched that game. A lot of their damage was done with KJ Jefferson. Moving, you know, after getting hit, he's. He, I thought he played one of his best games in an Arkansas uniform. He he moved around and extended plays and and took advantage of some coverage bust on extended plays. So the key, in my opinion, is Ole Miss's ability to establish enough of a running game to get. You have to. You you cannot let LSU get you into third and eleven, third and twelve with Wingo and and. Mason Smith and Perkins and all the yeah. they got so much speed they'll they'll just get after you. You've got to stay ahead of the chains, and then you can take advantage of that secondary. So I think it just comes down to that. Mm-hmm. No, I think the same thing. And I, you know, like I said, I just I, I really do think this game could end up being kind of similar to that Arkansas LSU game where maybe it starts a little slower, but I, I think it could end up the over under is like sixty six and a half right now. Kind of feels like that type of 34-31, 38-34 game that I think comes down to last possession. I think that's kind of what's coming here. Yeah, very well could. That would be that would be super entertaining in a series that's typically super entertaining. On the flip side, what have you thought of LSU's offense so far this year? It looks like Look, looks like second half of that Arkansas game where they were in trouble. I mean, it was thirteen to three going into the half, and Arkansas had momentum and. They from that point forward, they got the drive, got the ball first in the second half, scored, and then they just kind of kept scoring in the second half too. Yeah, no, neither team, uh, both teams got points every possession in the second half. Look, LSU's offensive line ain't all that great either, uh, to be honest. Jaden Daniels is so mobile that he kind of covers it up a little bit, you know, with his ability to extend plays. Uh, their receiving core is great though. I mean, Malik Neighbors is just, you know, we all saw what he did to Mississippi State. He had 190 yards and two touchdowns in the first half. And then Brian Thomas has emerged, uh, had a huge game against Arkansas too. But they, it's weird because like I said, you know, you talk about LSU, you think of the defensive backs and you think of the running backs through the years and they're kind of weak on both this year. So it's kind of like a little bit of a different Tiger team, but 
you know, I don't think their their offensive line is like anything unbeatable um, at all. So just the thing with Daniels, though, I'm curious. Do you think uh, Ole Miss might use Sunsurine Perkins again, kind of how they spied last week? I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again. Yeah, I'm surprised at all. If that's what they do. Well, they, Daniels picks up a lot of third downs with his legs, and uh, you know he really does a good job keeping those drives alive. And you know, honestly, he feels extremely underrated to me because it seems like the LSU fans don't appreciate. Dan. He's won the SEC Player of the Week two weeks in a row. Uh, I feel like they, you know, Nussmeier's been, you know, looked good as a backup last year, but I feel like Daniels is a, a little underappreciated for what he is and what he does for them. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I would have thought that he would be super appreciated there because. Look, if, if he and Malik Neighbors don't have the second half they have last week, it's toast. They lose. And there's a totally different feel down there. Can, can you imagine? I always like doing these in a alternate universe things. Yeah, the ripples in the pond stuff. Yeah, if in an alternate universe, what is the mood in Baton Rouge if they lose that game to Arkansas as an 18-point favorite? And I don't think people realize how close that game was and how much – if Malik Neighbors is not just a freak, and if Jalen Daniels doesn't just make play after play after play, I mean, he misses a couple of those plays, and that's a loss. And, boy, we're having a completely different conversation about life in Baton Rouge right now. That's that's the weird part of college football, right? It's, it's how close things can be. The margin of error between, yeah, man, everything's awesome, to, oh, my God, it's, a, it's an absolute travesty. It's not just at Ole Miss after the Alabama loss. It's... It's kind of everywhere. I mean, you see the ripples of, of what just a play here and a play there means over the course of a season and to the mood of a fan base and the direction of a program and all of those things. Yeah, and what's interesting about LSU, and this is kind of something people aren't really talking about, because, look, last year, huge year one for Kelly, obviously beating Bama and winning the West. I mean, that's way ahead of schedule. But let's go back to the end of last year. They had that awful effort at Texas A&M where they lost as a 10-point favorite I mean, Georgia was about, you know, won the national title, but Georgia beat the just dog crap out of them, no pun intended, in that SEC championship. They beat a super, you know, they waxed a super beat up Purdue team that had no one in the court, the coach left. And then LSU got waxed by Florida State week one. You know, you beat a bat, a Grambling team. That doesn't even count. That's a scrimmage week two. And then you almost lose to Arkansas. I mean, kind of going back into like since the A&M game last year, they, been a little more shaky, I think, than people are really realizing. And, you know, it's all covered up by the fact that Kelly beat Alabama. But, you know, down the stretch last year, they closed bad, and they've looked a little flaky to start this year. I don't think you're dealing with some, like, unbeatable team here. You know, even go back a little further. If you go back into that month, if I recall correctly, they went to Fayetteville and played Arkansas without oh, KJ yeah. Jefferson, and that was ended up being a one-possession game. Yeah, no, it did. They won 13-10 or something, if I remember right. Harold Harold Parkins won that game, too. But, no, you know, I'm not saying Kelly isn't doing a good job, but this isn't like, you know, this isn't anything like uh, the 19 team or any, you know, well, there isn't, nobody's ever been like that. But I don't know. I just feel like LSU looks a little mortal here. And uh, their fans, of course, are, you know, running their mouths this week as they, they tend to do, but. Right, you mentioned their fans. You have a you have a gauge on that fan base in a way that I really don't anymore. What does this rivalry mean to the LSU people? I got asked that question by the rivals people. We did a question and answer thing, and I was like, "Man, I, I can't I can't speak for this fan base, much less speak for that one." You you have a gauge on it. How how meaningful is this game? How how much does do they enjoy this game? Because I mean, look, we're going to this format where if we stay with eight eight games, 
Um, you know, there's some of these games that like Ole Miss doesn't play Alabama next year. Ole Miss doesn't play Auburn next year. Some of these kind of games are going to disappear from time to time. What does this one mean to LSU people? Well, so, okay, this one, I mean, it's, it, I'm not saying it still means a lot to LSU. I think it means more to Ole Miss fans for yeah. sure. I, I don't think that's any kind of a question. LSU's kind of one of those fan bases where like everyone hates them. And so, you know, they have problems with Auburn, Florida, Bama, Ole Miss, you know, even a and you know. But uh, the, the LSU-Ole Miss one, though, has so much history. And, like, a lot of times what I've seen in this game and matchup, like, I've been to all these games in Death Valley through the years where LSU's, like, a, you know, three- or four-touchdown favorite. And then LSU fans, like, you know, come in, like, looking down at Ole Miss. Oh, they suck, blah, blah. And then Ole Miss will make it a game. And then all of a sudden it'll be the fourth quarter, and LSU fans are like, okay, we, we hate these guys, is what it seems like happens. And I don't know. I, I, I think they definitely still hate Ole Miss. I mean, I think it's an old-school thing. And, you know, they try to act like Ole Miss is an inferior program to them, but deep down it, it still means a lot to them. And, you know, what, what you mentioned about the SEC scheduling thing, I'm glad it looks like LSU, Ole Miss is still going to stay as one of the traditional Ole Miss opponents too, which – you know, I'd be so upset to lose that. Like I said, I mean, it's my favorite weekend of the year. I'm hoping they go to a nine-game schedule. It's it's the answer to so much of it. Although, hey, man, there's like as we as you and I have this conversation here, there's a lot of talk out there for Clemson. A lot of talk about Clemson. There's some North Carolina stuff. There's talk about a quartet of ACC schools are getting out together that this is imminent. It feels like this is a conversation that we have over and over and over. But look the I'm not making it up. The buzz is just kind of out there, and Clemson is confident that they're out. I don't, I don't know whether that's to the Big Ten or to the SEC. I think they their fans want SEC. I don't know whether the SEC wants them. I just don't know. The SEC's – it's funny, Ben. I had a conversation with somebody who said, hey, don't pay any attention to this SEC talk about nothing going on. The SEC is the uh, – the animal on top of the, the the duck on top of the water looks calm, and underneath there's a lot of kicking going on. There's it, no, no, it makes sense. Look, obviously Clemson being in South Carolina makes sense to the SEC, but they've got that fan base that you know, kind of like when A and M came over, how strong A and M fans are. I mean, obviously they're different programs, but Clemson, you know, they sell out what ninety, a hundred thousand. I mean, they got a diehard fan base; they'd fit right in. Um, and you got to think the SEC after. You know, after UCLA, USC, and then Oregon and Washington went to the Big Ten, you know, it's an arms race, and they don't want to let the Big Ten catch up to them. And so, I mean, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I do too. Um, so for you, what's, what's got planned this weekend coming up? Man, I, I'm looking forward. Like I said, I'm heading up there Thursday. I'm gonna, I get to kick it with my old, uh, the old, the old national title guys, Tim Elko and Kevin Graham tomorrow. I'm excited to see those guys. Um, and just, I'm going to be around the square and Grove and all that Friday, Saturday. Uh, I'm actually going to stay till Monday. You know, one thing about Oxford that is a lot different than 20 years ago, I love the Sundays on the square, the Sunday afternoons. You know, I know it shuts down about nine, but man, just hopping around the square on like a beautiful Sunday, watching football, get some brunch, do all that. I, I'm going to stay in Oxford till Monday, uh, to make sure I can enjoy that. But, you know, this, like I said, this weekend, I mean, it feels like 70 or 80% of my relationships in the world are between these two schools. And so, you know, I just love it. It feels like a huge reunion. I'm going to be out at the Grove at 10 or 11 a.m., try to just get around, see as many people as I can, just soak it up and enjoy it. And, you know, I'm going to go to dinner. I got dinner tomorrow night at City Grocery, which is always fun. Good to see my people up there. And, you know, can't can't beat it. I got to get got a haircut, too, Friday. I need it. Got to be looking yeah, sharp. Me, too. Me, too. Um, <laughs> how's, how's Chicago treating you? 
Well, so I'm in New Orleans till November the 1st. Uh, I got my place in Chicago. Uh, the new office is in West Loop. I don't know how yep. familiar people are with Chicago. But West Loop's about 10 minutes from downtown. It's really blowing up. And I got a place in West Loop that's like a 10-minute walk from the office. Uh, I think that makes the most sense the first year while I'm getting orientated to the city. It's a vibrant area. It's safe. There's a lot of positives. Uh, obviously, moving up there in time for winter, not the most ideal. Um, I'm excited, though. We're bringing the morning show. Wake Up Mincy's going to come back in November. It's going to be three days a week. Uh, so, you know, I, everything's full go Chicago, but now I get to enjoy the next five weeks being in the south, and that kind of starts uh, this weekend in Oxford. And, you know, I'm going to kind of just be – kicking around Louisiana and Mississippi a lot the next uh, four weeks and, you know, trying to save a little money because the Chicago moves get me a little bit. But a lot to be excited about. And also, Neil, the, you know, I kind of mentioned this before, you know, we talk about the health stuff. I'm running the St. Jude half marathon December 2nd, so I'm really getting kind of geared up for that too. I saw you did a seven-mile run. Good for you. I, that's yeah, a- I'm really – this is a new gear for me. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, it's like Wednesday afternoon. We're taping it. I've already, like – Done a seven mile run, lifted upper, did the stretch class, did a, I don't know. I mean, I'm just really, really turning it up uh, to a different gear. And I'm just, you know, week 14 of low carb diet now, and I'm doing real well with that. And yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, I'm really just trying to commit my life to it, to be honest. I mean, I, I have this vision that, you know, the turning 40 thing I talked about last time I was on here, but if I commit to the health thing completely, I feel like, uh, you know, have a lot to live for so I'm gonna absolutely well man i hope you uh safe travels up hope you have a great weekend hopefully i get to see you at some point and uh thanks for spending some time with us on the show yeah thanks again you always enjoy it all right thanks to ben mintz for uh his time on the show tonight that does it for uh this preview of lsu at ole miss again our thanks to ben mintz to parker fleming to Matt Moscona for all of their time. It's been a, a full week of podcasts here on MPW Digital. Hope you've enjoyed them. Don't forget Pete's Pigskin Preview, the uh, Butcher versus the Dance Instructor, the Oxford Exxon Podcast, Rippy's Rights, so much more. Uh, over the course of the last few days, if you're making the trip up or down or east-west, however it is that you get to Oxford, hope you have a safe trip. Please be safe and uh, enjoy your weekend. And we'll have the uh, MPW Digital postgame show presented by Dead Soxy after Ole Miss and LSU on Saturday night. And then we'll be back with you on Monday with another full week of MPW Digital uh, programming, including the Oxford Exxon podcast, of course. So, uh, again, thanks to all the guests. Thanks to everybody who was in the stream. Uh, tell a friend, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and uh, we'd appreciate it. Until uh, Saturday, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.